Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Blockhash Podcast. We have another great episode for you today. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and follow wherever you are tuning in. Hold tight for just a second as we play a quick advertisement and countdown video while we wait for everyone to join. Thank you and we hope that you enjoy the episode. What's up, guys? Good afternoon. Welcome back to Blockhash Exploring the Blockchain, episode 321. Today, we have Pradeep, the CEO of Solvecare, here to talk about the intersection between blockchain and healthcare, a very important one that I don't think we talk about enough on the show or generally in the space. Uh, it's a very important industry, very important use case for blockchain. Uh, Pradeep, thank you for taking the time to be here. It's a pleasure. How are you doing today? Brandon, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here. Uh, just a great time in industry and overall in healthcare as well. So excited to talk to you today. Thanks for, so thanks for the opportunity. Of course, and likewise. Before we do, would love to learn more about yourself, and I'm sure the audience will um, would love to as well. Tell us a bit about your story and your background. What did you do prior to uh, solve care and leading up to it? So, well, my story is very simple. I spent my entire career in healthcare. So it's not been that uh, much of a change in direction, but I've done a lot of different things in healthcare. So uh, I spent a lot of years in working in insurance as insurance executive uh, in the CIO role. I've spent a number of years working in government programs, Medicare and Medicaid. I had the privilege of working on uh, the implementation of uh, ACA in multiple states, leading that effort. Um, Prior to that, I, was, uh, I built a number of health tech companies. Uh, one of them became part of WebMD, so then I became the WebMD CTOs. So all my life I've been in healthcare. Of course, in addition to being this tech executive in healthcare, insurance and public health, I'm also a parent and I have kids who need healthcare, particularly my son when he was born. So I'm a pretty, at times, a pretty heavy user of healthcare from a family point of view. Um, so I've been doing healthcare innovation, healthcare system design, healthcare program design, trying to improve healthcare in different ways uh, over the years. And SolveCare is just a culmination of that journey in that I learned a lot over the 25 years prior to SolveCare, what works, what doesn't work. And I found that we're just repeating ourselves and we need to make a fundamental change in healthcare. And SolveCare is that determination, the result of that determination that I have to create a better healthcare future. The healthcare, the way it works today, isn't good enough. It is not the legacy I wanna leave the, your generation and the one after. It's not the healthcare system I want my kids to have to endure. And the problems we're trying to solve are very fundamental to the whole healthcare universe around the planet. So we may set ourselves a mission that let's do something so fundamentally different that the next generation, the one after that, will experience a completely different healthcare model than what we have grown up with. So that's a journey of my personal journey and solve care. They're all together. It's the same thing. 
you know, I poured everything that I've learned over the last three decades into SolveCare with the goal of making healthcare work better for you, for, my, for me, my kids, my parents, your parents. We owe it to ourselves to do this. Was there a moment in time where it maybe clicked for you and you were like, oh, blockchain might be this perfect technology <laughs> to really take healthcare to the next level and fix some existing problems? Like, was that like an actual moment for you where you're like, aha? Or, or what was that process like? Well, there were a couple of moments in my life which have very fundamentally altered the course of my life. One was when I was a CIO of a big insurance company. Uh, my wife called in to our, my call center to try to get an appointment approval, typically what's called pre-authorization. And they couldn't find my family in the database. They couldn't find me. So she was like, but my husband runs all of your IT. And they were like, sorry, but we don't know you. We don't know you. We can't find you. So here was a big insurance company with a huge budget that I was running and I could not be found in the database. That tells you how convoluted and complicated healthcare eligibility and insurance benefits can be. And that was really a moment for me to realize that if I, with all my access and power, am having trouble accessing a simple doctor's appointment, what does it do to the person who doesn't have that seat at the table? So that was a sh shake-up moment for me. That, but that was years ago. Then my son was born with some learning challenges, disabilities. So when he was young, very young, we were trying to get him an appointment with a neurologist. And it took my wife and I, you know, weeks and months of calling to get an appointment with a neurologist six months later. And when we finally got to see the neurologist, he said to me, what took you so long? Why didn't you bring him in sooner? And I was like, because we couldn't get an appointment with a neurologist for six months. And I'm thinking to myself, again, with the best health plan in the world, with the most expensive healthcare system in the world, with me sitting and running a big insurance company infrastructure, and my son can't get an appointment in time, this is ridiculous. Again, what does a parent who doesn't have my privileges do? Then I was working at, uh, you know, on the various um, public health programs, especially the Medicaid expansion and Obamacare implementation. And I saw billions and billions of dollars spent on repetitive solutions that really didn't look any different. The IBM solution and the Oracle solution, the Deloitte solution, each cost hundreds of millions of dollars. They were 95% the same. And you couldn't tell the difference between them when you deployed them. But here we were paying that, buying these solutions you know, by the truckload, one for Missouri, one for Arkansas, one for Maryland, one for Minnesota, paying $100 million, $200 million for each of these systems that largely did very little and did the same thing. So I said to myself, why are we spending billions of dollars to do nothing different? And you know, the worst part is none of these systems actually do anything for the patient, for me, for my kids, for my parents, for your kids. Do, they do nothing. All they do is to to control access to care. They are narrow silos built to supposedly to manage healthcare, but they actually do nothing to improve healthcare. So I said to myself, I can spend the rest of my life being part of the system that I do not, that does not work. I can sit at my comfortable perch, you know, keep having the big title in the big office and the, you know, the, the, the assistant outside, but what is my legacy? My legacy will be this guy oversaw billions of dollars in spending and didn't make one iota of a difference to the life of a patient. 
So I quit all that, you know, corporate responsibilities. Uh, gave, most people thought I was insane to leave, you know, a high-paying, high-powered job to come and start a company like SolveCare, especially when you're talking about unproven technologies back then. You know, blockchain, Web3 were still conceptual, not real. But I was convinced that if there is going to be a change in healthcare, it's going to come from dreamers who simply refuse to take the status quo. And healthcare is nothing but status quo. It's all about status quo. So I decided to be one of those people who are going to ask the unthinkable question. How can we reimagine healthcare so it works better for the average citizen, for the, for the normal family? You know, for someone without the extraordinary privilege that goes with being a healthcare executive and how are we going to make the world a better place? And the challenge is big. Somebody's going to have to do it one day and why not solve care? So that's the moment. Those three moments combined, the wasteful expenditure, the lack of efficiency in getting access to care and simply having dealing with the complex and bureaucratic you know, barriers to care I personally experienced them, and I was responsible for putting those up, and I said, enough, let's tear down these silos. Good for you. That's very noble. Uh, I love hearing stories like that, and it's such an important industry that, unfortunately, for a long time, just hasn't really changed. Like, there's a lot of tech that's integrated into healthcare all the time, but, like, making it more open and accessible to everyone and eliminating some of these problems that in silos that just makes no sense sometimes. It's surprising that in 2023 they exist so prominently. Um, so it's awesome what you guys are doing. And I want to know more how you guys reimagining healthcare through solve care. What, what is your guys' uh, specific mission and goal to accomplish through solve care specifically? So in a nutshell, you know, healthcare doesn't work well if you define the problem. It's because healthcare is very, very siloed. So you have not just data silos. Everybody thinks about, well, if you put electronic medical records on blockchain, the world will fix itself. Absolutely will not fix itself because the silos in healthcare aren't about data only. There are three fundamental types of silos in healthcare. Data is one. The second big silo is care silos, where you have what is called care delivery networks, be it a hospital or be it a Medicaid network or be it a preferred provider network or be there is always delivery networks designed to, to match patient to doctor, and these networks are small and narrow. So if you're in that network, the only doctor you can see is somebody who is in that network. And the more silos we create for access to care, the less access to care we have. It's obvious and logical. So this is the second big silo. And the third big silo is the payment silo. Most of healthcare is driven not by what the patient needs, but who is paying for care. So insurance companies create their own networks, Medicare creates their own, employers create their own, and because they are paying for it, they tell you what you can do and who you can see and how much you need to pay and how much they will pay. So you have three silos, data silo, care access silo, and payment silos. And these three silos combined have the effect of essentially making healthcare unbelievably difficult to change, which is why healthcare doesn't really change frequently and doesn't change for the better. Now, the way you fix those silos is you build an open infrastructure that allows any care provider, physician, nurse, orthopedic surgeon, or specialist care provider, or lab, or, or radiology, or pharmacy, 
to be able to use that network to interact with any patient in the world. You have to have this global infrastructure that is open, that is secure, that can be configured for relationships between parties, and that can be available to everyone without being in the control of anyone. Because the moment you put one party in control of the data, they become super powerful and they become untrustworthy, and you cannot have a Facebook or even a Google in charge of global healthcare. Nobody would agree to that. So you have to have a fabric that is global, open, compliant and trustworthy, secure, but it cannot be centrally managed by a party, not SolveCare, not IBM, nobody. So in that regard, the only way we can break down the healthcare silos of care, access, payment delivery, and data is to open up a, a create a global fabric. And that's the mission of SolveCare. But this fabric isn't just a blockchain. Blockchain doesn't rise to the occasion. You need a lot of technology in addition to blockchain a combination of blockchain and Web3 and many other tech components are needed for this global decentralized fabric to be acceptable, usable, and trusted, right? So that's our mission. And I have to say that this mission, when we started six years ago, we didn't know how the heck we're going to get there. We just knew that we have to get there. But thankfully, the technology stack in blockchain and Web3 world, the digital health adoption post-COVID, and generally the societal mood saying enough, I don't want to be driven by you know, centralized authorities and mega corporations making my life decisions for me. I think those three factors converge now to where we feel that a layer two chain for healthcare that's open and accessible to all the time is now. So Got that's it. where we are. Got it. So you have this chain. So what's the next step in this process to help give patients more access to healthcare? Is it to go to the hospitals, to the insurance company, to the family office? Um, or is there another route that you guys take that you want to do to make this happen? How does this next step kind of work? So the we are just launching CareChain um, this week. So depending on the day of the week you're listening to me, either it's launched or is about to launch. But before end of April, before end of March, uh, we, would, we, were, we would have launched CareChain. But it's still in the testnet phase. So the actual production chain is a few months away. But it's already being utilized in healthcare by variety of parties who see the chain as a way to effectively communicate and manage and transact with the other party. So you ask the question, who can use it? So first is, as a consumer, I can use the chain and access the chain through my care wallet, and I can transact with any other party on the chain, be it a doctor, be it a nurse, be it a pharmacy, be it a hospital. I can buy NFTs on the chain, which give me certified competent content about healthcare. So there are NFTs coming on the chain uh, that are being published on the chain that are related to how to manage sleep disorders or how to manage your weight or how to stop drinking or how to stop smoking or how to deal with diabetes. So these are competent content NFTs that are certified, that are published by certified competent authority that you can trust and actually use. On the reverse side, there are physicians who can publish NFTs so they can monetize their competence and experience. And they can essentially publish very scenario-specific NFTs that somebody can buy and somebody can download and access. 
So these are smart NFTs with, with a lot of power in them. Then you have the ability to transact on the chain using digital asset or soft token, which can both allow exchange of data, interoperability of data between parties and systems, but also allows you to use it as a payment token. So it's easier for patients to pay a doctor across international boundaries, uh, to pay for uh, services that they want to, uh, to take advantage of, like a second opinion, or buy a device from a different country, or to, of course, to download uh, and use an NFT from, let's say, a top university hospital around a disease condition. So there are fundamentally five or six big use cases for the chain. Content publishing and consumption, which is what we call care NFT, uh, payment transactions between parties, uh, data exchange, interoperability and sharing of data, uh, decentralized applications that you can publish on the chain, which can actually manage a very complex multi-party care scenario, uh, and the ability to do so in a way that you can manage your identity, data, and assets with zero knowledge of your identity being um, shared with others, unless it is truly needed and you consent to it. So all these factors come together to basically build a global infrastructure for healthcare, right? That's the goal. The goal is not to tell you how to run healthcare. The goal is to give you a, a fabric, an open, global, scalable, trusted fabric where you can transact your business any which way you want. So if you're a physician with a small clinic and you're serving a couple of thousand patients, you can use our chain to interact and communicate and deliver care and get paid on the chain in a highly personalized, configured network of yours. If you're a big hospital like Mayo or Hopkins or King Saud Hospital in Saudi Arabia, you can build a network on our chain that lets you build all kinds of very complex transactions in the form of smart contracts like admission, discharge, follow-up, uh, you know, the uh, prescription or premium payment or collection uh, of bill or referring some care um, pathway to the family so they can keep you on track. You can do any number of care transactions on the platform. We don't tell you what you can build. We give you the tools. You can build practically any healthcare model you want on, the, on our chain. Got it. I got some questions on the security and privacy aspect of this framework that you're building. Mm -hmm. I know in the healthcare space, uh, from personal experience in, in education, uh, especially in the U.S., I'm not quite sure about how it works in every other country, but in the U.S., um, when it comes to client data, patient consent, confidentiality, yep. uh, these things are very, very strict in the healthcare space. Mm -hmm. um, how does your framework help facilitate those things for clients so that they know that um, if they're going to the doctor for some reason that they're able to consent to that data being given to the doctor or they're, they know that their data is not going to be distributed or that they can maintain confidentiality. Maybe there's something they're going through they don't want people to know about. Um, are these things built into the framework as well or are these additional things that go on top when building an application? You tell me. That's a great question. Uh, they are built in, they are fundamental. Any global healthcare infrastructure has to take into account the data sharing, that, and which also then further gets into data custody. So you have to manage custody and sharing of data. You have to have the ability to do both implicit and explicit consent and prove it, right? And you also need to be able to ensure that, the, that when the 
when the transaction happens with these two parties, they are actually compliant. So let's break this down into these three areas. So from a compliance perspective, people always think of patient privacy and patient data protection, but there's actually two sides to this. The person whose data we're talking about and the person who has to use the data to give you care, right? So you have actually rules on both sides. How I need to, what I need to do as a patient to share my information, to give consent, HIPAA consent and other consent and how my data should be used and how much I should know about how my data is being used. And then the other side, the person who is using my data, what are their rights to look at that data, retain it for their records and to prove that they did everything right and they didn't do any bad things to me, right? So there is always a relationship between party A, the care provider and party B, the care receiver. And there's typically a third party involved, which would be like an insurance company or your employer or your government agency, which is the administrator. So everybody has their own rights. And this is a very complex equation. So we have built a relationship-based compliance model where you can configure compliance between these three parties or as many as you have, but you can build an AB compliance model, patient doctor. You can build an BC compliance model between patient and insurance company, and you can build an AC compliance model between doctor and insurance company. And now the triangle is complete, but you need different compliance rules for each of these relationships. The AB compliance rules are very different than BC, are very different than AC. You can't apply the same model of compliance to all of them. You need to have relationship specific compliance model. So we built very, we believe one of the most innovative things SolveCare accomplished was to think of compliance less in the context of a process, but more in the context of a relationship between two parties. And we found that in that model, we can address any healthcare compliance model that exists on the planet. It doesn't matter what country, it doesn't matter which jur legal jurisdiction A or B are, and often they are in the same, but often they are not in the same jurisdiction. For a truly global framework to work, you gotta be able to do an A, B, B, C, C, A compliance model on the fly. So we made it easy for that to happen. And each of these is think of them as a smart contract that enforces the rules of that relationship. And, be and because it's immutable execution, Every time A interacts with B, we have the events to prove what happened. So compliance proving is much easier than any Web2 system on the planet. Then the second part of this problem, that is consent. So whenever I share information with you, I'm either implicitly sharing it with you with my consent or I'm explicitly signing a document to say, please use my information to treat my diabetes, right? So there is a compliance model, and blockchain is implicit auto automatically. If I do a transaction on blockchain, and, and I have the, my identity on one side signing the, the, the event, and your identity on the other side picking up the event, we already have an implicit consent that I sent you an event. So if I attach data to that event, I sent it to you. I can prove it. You can prove it, which means nobody can, I can come back later and say, oh, I never meant to send, send to Brandon the record. Well, you did. You sent it from your wallet to his wallet, and there's a signature on the chain that proves it. So Brandon can't be held accountable for records that were sent by Pradeep because he sent them explicitly, and we know the timestamp, and we know the event ID. But the explicit consent is giving you the right to use the data for something. And that's me saying, Brandon, I'm sending you a card with my medical history, but I want you to use it only to treat me. You cannot share it with somebody. And on the, in our system, we extend the chain of custody. So even if I send you my data and you share it with somebody else, 
I'm going to know about that because that key will, would expire the moment you share that data with somebody else. And their wallet can't open my card, my data card, because it's not the same wallet where I sent it to. So you can't share it with my permission. But if you need to share it with, a, let's say, a specialist, as my doctor, you should be able to do that. Then the specialist can get a key from me to open that record. So even though I've shared my data with you, I maintain custody, chain of custody on my data which makes compliance a lot easier. So in a nutshell, the consent model, the, uh, the custody model, um, and the ability to prove that I initiated a transaction and I gave or did not give consent for this, to, this data to be further shared, and even if you do share it, no harm done because can't, they can't see it, allows us to exceed every healthcare law that is out there. You know, everybody's heard of HIPAA in the US and there are equivalent Patient Privacy Act in Canada and in UK and Australia and India. The fundamental principle of all these, of these laws is patient data should not be abused. Well, we make it impossible for the data to be abused. So therefore, compliance becomes a lot easier because if you prevent something from happening and prove that it can't happen, it's a lot easier to achieve compliance than trying to show somebody something didn't happen that should have not happened, right? So the whole compliance framework of healthcare is upside down. We allow all kinds of bad things to happen. Then we run around with auditors and lawyers and, and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, systems trying to prevent and prove that the bad things that we did allow to happen weren't really that bad, which is the way healthcare compliance works all over the world. Nobody stops you as my doctor to send my data to somebody unknown, but then you have to prove to me that you didn't do it. This is how compliance works today. But our model is what is not allowed should not even be permitted to happen. And the chain should enforce that. And it should be based on a relationship, not on some abstract idea of patient privacy. So we have made things very concrete, very executable and auditable. And our consent model, I'm not saying we are unique, but I think we are unique in that we have figured out how to use blockchain to actually make healthcare compliance easier in the real world. It's really interesting. It's a fascinating topic to kind of dive into. I have a, a person in my life, I won't say who exactly, who's going through some things. And this person um, has medical records in both the United States as well as outside the United States mm -hmm. and is currently outside the United States um, receiving medical treatment for some things and needs to send that information mm -hmm. to doctors in the U.S., uh, to be able to go there to get treatment or to get recommendation on what to do or to even share past medical history from the U.S. outside the country. And there's this, I think, issue that I started to realize the last couple of years of healthcare data and charts and documents and patient history not being as universal yes. as maybe they need to be. I feel like this could be another really interesting pathway uh, for solve care and your guys's framework, maybe making it so that hospitals uh, and small practices or doctors or however it may work for any individual um, to transfer that information, you know, cross state border, cross national border to any hospital, to any doctor and have a validation that that medical data is official and yep. is certified um, and streamline that process and, you know, not have to go through it all over again. And while you're sick and, you know, not be able to get better. And like, there, there's issues with that too, that I've realized. Yeah. 
So CareChain is designed to be extensible. So we have taken pains to make sure that there are oracles or off-chain off -chain data gateways. And we are already, most of the standard healthcare data is in what is called HL7 format, medical record format. It's called HL7. And most of the administrative data, like your health insurance benefits and your payment history, is in what is called EDI X.12 format. Okay? So these are two standard formats that govern most of healthcare in the United States and North America and increasingly utilized everywhere in the world. So HL7 is a pretty much an international standard. So we have built the chain to be extensible, but anybody can add on to the chain HL7 gateway and Oracle. And that can connect to any uh, HL7 enabled uh, EMR, electronic medical record system or hospital system or, or clinic system. So the idea is that as an open fabric for healthcare, CareChain gives the community the tools to build, in, build their data, their processes, their identities, their transactions on the chain the way it works in your community. And the way healthcare works in Singapore is gonna be different than the way healthcare works in Senegal. No problem. You can both design what we call care networks on the chain, and those networks will operate based on the rules of your network. And those contracts will execute the way you design them. And we made that whole process super easy. It sounds complicated, but we have implemented really complex, very powerful networks, digital health solutions on our chain in weeks. What would have taken me in the past, before I started SolveCare, you know, a five-year, $200 million budget, you can do it on SolveCare chain now, you know, probably in two months for maybe under $200,000 and sometimes under $20,000. So we have slashed um, a whole lot of zeros from healthcare IT budgets. So as more and more people use it, the platform becomes more powerful because we have that many more gateways, we have that many more uh, sources of uh, information. It's kind of like chain link, right? The more people connect mm -hmm. into the chain, the more valuable it becomes. So we are starting to see really significant traction, not just in the U.S., but outside U.S., from hospitals, from physicians, from medical research hospitals, teaching uh, universities that are medical universities, saying, hey, I have great content. How do I get it onto the chain? And we're making it very easy. Publishing an NFT takes you know, a very complex very powerful medical NFT, like Care NFT, you can do it in a day. Uh, you try to do that on any other platform, it would, it would be a multi-month project. So the idea here is the power of the care chain is to connect, but in a manner that actually is relevant to your health system. There is no single solution for all healthcare in the world, but there can be a single platform that serves every healthcare model in the world. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's so much more simply broken down to through this framework than to have such a complex system that's different, you know, regionally by country or by state or however it works where you live. So it's great to have something like this as a, as a base layer. One more question before we start wrapping up. You mentioned at the beginning of the episode other technologies that would be very complementary to blockchain as well in terms of improving and enhancing the healthcare system. What are some of those technologies that you could envision that could, or will, or are being implemented with blockchain that could help healthcare? Could it be AI? Could it be IoT um, or, or something else? You tell me. So I think we, you know, especially in the last three years in the post-COVID world, 
you know, healthcare has jumped leaps and bounds from where it was, right? Digital health became more accessible, more standardized, more acceptable. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of technology that supplement just the core healthcare uh, transactions, which is, as you said, IoT, AI is certainly emerging very quickly from a diagnostic and from a prognosis perspective. Uh, we also have, even within blockchain, there is so much advancements. You got zero knowledge proof now becoming standardized. You have the ability to transact uh, on chain in a much more efficient, grandma friendly way. You have NFTs that are not just pictures and graphics, but actually active smart NFTs that you can literally rotate and see different aspects of a problem and a solution. Um, you have the ability to implement uh, chains on, on both virtual and physical nodes. You have the ability to, to monitor everything. Um, you have the ability to pay people rewards. People understand the concept of validation and hosting nodes. It's much easier to do that. Uh, the cost of standing up blockchain nodes is going down every single day. So altogether, blockchain has reached that tipping point, but the use case is not easy to achieve because you need more than the chain, as I said. So you need, in our case, we have the blockchain, we have the token for payment and for utility. We have the care wallet from a grandma's access to the chain because no grandma is going to use MetaMask to go in and scan around for healthcare data. You're going to see this in a very human readable fashion through the care wallet. We build the care protocol to define these digital health networks in a compliance-driven uh, rules. You have the roles and relationship framework. You have the payment systems that track and, uh, and handle both billing and invoicing. So there's tons of things that ne are needed for a global healthcare infrastructure to actually be used by the consumer and by the business. And you need both. You need the consumer to be able to access the chain. You need enterprise to be able to publish content and consume transactions off the chain. Otherwise, it will be a you know highway that nobody drives, right? So the point here is that for healthcare fabric, you almost need an uh, application with through which the consumers can access the healthcare chain. You need a token to transact both as a utility and as a payment token. It has to be able to do both. You need the ability to manage consent. You need the ability to manage on-chain and off-chain data. You need the ability to manage identity whenever appropriate. It should be zero knowledge till such time where the law requires you to reveal it or the service provider requires you to reveal it. You need to have the ability to do relationship-based compliance framework. And you have to have the ability to scale this whole infrastructure where the data can be geo-pinned, especially off-chain data can be geo-pinned to meet local data regulations. So all these things had to be built. Now. I would have to say the blockchain industry has come so far since I started working in it, and we've been watching it and evolving with it. But now, you know, projects have delivered so much success in technology, but they're all sort of bits and pieces of technology all over the place. And what CareChain did is looked at the whole ecosystem of blockchain, took the best ideas from the best projects, and assembled them into something that healthcare can actually use. So we are in many ways standing on the shoulder of giants. We didn't build every single piece of care chain. We built a lot of it, but a lot of it we learned from the industry. But the combined effect is that tipping point. So now we are at a point where I can tell you that this long six years of you know, innovating, investing, building, trying, uh, learning, we are at a point where care chain represents the culmination of all our efforts. And now we can go to market and say, okay, guys, 
It is a care chain that actually meets your compliance, data privacy, data ownership, custody, consent, identity. And even further, we took you to where care chain can act as a computation engine. So you don't really need another computational environment. We can actually transact your events in the form of what we call care event virtual machine that can that's compatible with your EVM. So now you can actually, you don't need to go and stand up some big, huge Amazon Web Services account either. The chain can serve as your cloud in itself. So all, all of this had to come together. It took a long six years, but now we, we are there. And the results are coming in because hospitals, very reputable hospitals, very reputable universities, physicians, uh, pharmacies, pharmaceutical companies are starting to build on the chain the way we believe it should be built, which is build anywhere, use anywhere, be compliant everywhere. I love it. It's very exciting what you guys are working on. And I think it's well overdue to have something like this that exists today. So I, I thank you and commend you for, you know, dropping the comfortable life to be able to do this and, and dedicate yourself to it. I know you got to go, uh, but to wrap it up, where can people go if they want to learn more about SolveCare? Do you guys have uh, social media, a blog, website, community? Where do you want to direct people? So first is that we have a number of announcements coming out regarding care chain, and they will be on solve.care website, so www.solve.care. There is also the care chain uh, website, the carechain.network, where everything related to care chain is. We have already announced the care labs to author NFTs and to publish care cards, so that's already up and running. Uh, we have a Telegram group. If you search for solve.care on Telegram, you will find a very, a very active Telegram channel. We are also on Twitter and we are on Facebook. We, I'm on LinkedIn. If you search for my name and uh, SolveCare and SolveCare has LinkedIn account as well. But in the end, the uh, the easiest way to begin is to just go to our website, you know, and look at all the various things we are publishing, and more importantly, follow us on uh, social media. But we also love to hear from anybody who says, "Look, I'm an innovator in healthcare, and I have an idea, and I'm going to build this great new, you know, solution for humanity." Well, CareChain probably will help you get to market faster. That we are sure of. Whether you're building a clinical uh, app or a, you know, administrative solution or an appointment system, or you want to teach people how to manage their disease conditions better, or you're a doctor who wants to publish their competency in the form of reusable, monetizable NFTs, we have a capability for you. And if you don't have the capability, we'll probably build it for you. So reach out to us. And then from a solve token perspective, you know, that's the underlying technology which lets you monetize your experience. If you want to publish an NFT that a million people download, well, you're going to get paid you know, from each one of them on a per use basis or a per view basis. And that's a recurring revenue that you can generate. Uh, and that's all happening. Awesome. Sounds good. We're going to have to do a part two at some point. Sounds like there's a lot of things that you guys are working on. Um, I know you guys are just getting started and launching, but again, very excited to see how you guys develop things out. And um, again, congratulations on everything and great episode, man. Thank you, Brandon. It was a really a pleasure and you are doing great work and I'm really pleased to get to know you. And I'm sure that I'll seek you out and look to talk to you again uh, and also to see how you're doing. So thanks very much. Absolutely. We'll stay connected. Take care. Uh, stay safe. We'll talk soon. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye.